Breaking It Down with Frank McKay. This is 1039 LI News Radio. This is Frank McKay. I'd like to welcome everyone to Breaking It Down. My very special guest today is the uh, just a wonderful guitarist, uh, and he's had such a wonderful career and spent about a dozen years as the as as the musical director for Bo Diddley, uh, legendary Bo Diddley. How are you, Mr. Jim Satin? How are you? I'm doing great. Uh, now, where are you from originally, Mr. Satin? Oh, well, yeah, I grew up on Staten Island. Uh, Staten Island, New York. I left probably when I was about 19. I went out to California and went to Los Angeles uh, for about a year or two. And then I came back and moved into Manhattan and never turned back. Yeah, it's you know it's it's close enough to uh, Staten Island's close enough to Manhattan to make a, a career out of it, but it is it is kind of complicated to get off. I love Staten Island and I spend oh. a lot of time there myself, but it's not like you can just jump on the train and 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 get a gig. No, yeah, uh, it's it's funny how you know. I mean, there are people that live out there and have never been to the city. Uh, I don't know, you know. It's yeah. I mean, it was the best thing in the world for me was to get out of there. But I mean, it, it was you know. It was a great place to grow up, but, you know, the world's a big place. Couture, needed, yeah. You know, needed to do other things. Well, guitar-wise, w- when was it for you? A, a lot of people in the rock field in uh, a, a certain generation say, uh, when I saw Ed Sullivan and the, and the Beatles on Ed Sullivan, I, you know, I had to get a guitar. I had to get a, uh, a drum set or something. But what about for you? When did you get hit by the bug? When did you get hit by the, the thunderbolt? And decided uh, I need to do this. Yeah, it was funny. I, I guess I started uh, in grammar school, uh, like a lot of kids, and I played for a while. I played in a couple little bands, and then, and then you know, maybe maybe around sixth grade or seventh grade. Then I then I put it down actually until like junior year of high school, and you know, it was the tail end of the '60s, and uh, you know. I just got into it, and I started playing in some local bands on Staten Island. And uh, when I guess when I was about yeah about nineteen, uh, I had a childhood buddy that actually went on to play with Tina Turner for many years. He was a bass player. His name was Bob Fight, and uh, we actually just got in a '62 Mercury Comet and drove to Los Angeles, and uh, you know got our feet wet. So. Did you go out there with any money? I mean, did you? I mean, obviously, you had a couple bucks oh, in your pocket. Oh God, no! I probably, you know, a couple hundred bucks. Uh, <laughs> I remember the first, we the car was fine until we got to downtown Los Angeles, and we hit downtown L.A. and the car broke down, <laughs> and we had to leave it. Uh, we left it there. The next day, we went back, and all my records, the car had been broken into, and all my records were gone. I had all these great vinyl blues albums, you know. And I had a whole collection of records, and they were and they were completely gone. I mean, the windows were broken, and somebody well, smashed one of the, the windows. Yeah. One of the windows, yeah. yeah. Wow! Uh, welcome to L.A. <laughs> yeah, it was a bit of a shock. And we we lived up uh, on Franklin Avenue in Hollywood. We got an apartment right away, and uh, that was the beginning of the journey for me. Now, who, who, or what uh, was the first thing that you ran into out there? That that gave you any kind of encouragement to uh, to think that this could work out. Well, I started almost immediately. I got into like a cover band. It was playing in Long Beach, and I, I oh the band leader's name was Randy Kemner. He was a, a keyboard player, 
And I was working probably five nights a week. I mean, I was making pretty decent money. And there was a lot of, uh, there was a lot happening in LA at that time, you know? I mean, uh, you know, I started doing sessions for a Motown arranger, a guy named uh, Renee Hall. Uh, I was doing a lot of demos. I actually worked uh, with Doug Figer, uh, you know, the band, you know, the guy who started the group, The Knack. Um, he was a close friend. We did some stuff. Oh, this uh, isn't that long ago. What what time period are you talking about? Oh, God, we're talking maybe 1977. Okay. We're so talking quite some quite some time ago. Yeah, well, that's, but still, that's not, you know, that's, uh, that's not ancient history. That's pre-MTV, but just yeah. barely pre-MTV. Yeah. When you talk yeah. about the, the knack, uh, you know, that's, you know, that's, the start of MTV. That's what goes on there. Yeah. Now, what was the big thing in LA there when you when you were looking around? And let me just give a reminder to everyone that this is Frank McKay, and more importantly, my special guest is Jim Satin, guitarist extraordinaire, Jim Satin. And uh, again, he spent uh, about a dozen years with uh, Bo Diddley as uh, the late great Bo Diddley, and the, uh, the the amount of time there is has uh, got to be able to fill a book, I'm sure. Uh, but uh, again, a little bit of your history here. When you get to LA in '77, what's going on there uh, that well, that you're looking yeah. at? Go ahead. Well, uh, as I said, I, I started playing in, I guess, in a lounge band there, and I think there was something called like Music Connections. So they had tons of ads about you know groups always looking for uh, for musicians. So I was answering all of that stuff. I guess one of my one of the the first. Uh, I would say the first two real professional gigs was, like I said, doing some sessions for Renee Hall. And then I actually did some uh, dates with Lowell Folsom, who was a very famous old blues guitarist. Um, and uh, I started getting homesick. Uh, and so I would say after about two years, I, I came back and, and moved into Manhattan, um, which was a whole other experience. <laughs> Well, it, it it took you two years to get homesick. I guess that's a pretty that's a pretty good run. When you came back to Manhattan, what was going on? That was probably the uh, uh, the tail end of CBGBs and uh, and things like that. But that's a different. I, I, yeah, I would say time period then is maybe around 1979. Um, you know, it was it was uh, definitely much more competitive uh, in Manhattan than let's say LA. It was a lot. It was a lot of work in L.A. at the time. When I first came back to New York, it, it was definitely rough. I was struggling a little bit. Um, I would say in New York, uh, one of the first uh, two pivotal uh, places or breaks for me, uh, there used to be uh, well, Tree Hellas, which was down in the uh, the village. On every Monday night, uh, there was a big band. I don't know. It was about 32 guys. I think we made about $5 each. <laughs> Uh, and so it was called Brownie's Revenge. And, and through that, uh, I met a lot of people. Uh, I met this trumpet player that actually got me, I went on the road uh, with Eddie Kendricks. Uh, that was one of my first tours out of New York, uh, Eddie Kendricks from The Temptations. Yeah. Um, I also had done some recording. Uh, you know, the disco period started to hit New York City, and I started really working a lot in the studios, doing a lot of disco records. That must have been a good period, even though people, you know, ripped that period for, for lack of, uh, uh, I don't know, well, whatever. People love to rip the disco uh, era, but I, but you were you were probably getting a lot of opportunities to do studio oh, yeah. work. Yes, a lot of 12-inch dance records. Uh, 
I played on a hit uh, called Fantasy, a girl named Brooding Pagan. I was also playing, I was doing live gigs with uh, a group called Ecstasy, Passion, and Pain, which was on Roulette Records. And we used to do a lot of shows opposite the Tramps and groups like that. Now, and, let me yeah. let me interrupt you for a second. Roulette Records, was uh, Morris Levy still a player in that? Yeah. He was. You got to know Morris? No, I didn't. Yeah, Thank th- God. Thankfully. Thankfully, you didn't. Yes. I've had Tommy James on the show, and boy, you can hear... Uh, you could hear some horror stories from him and Morris oh. Levy. For those who don't know, uh, was the the head of Roulette Records and 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 very much a gangster, right? I mean, you know, I, I think those it's safe. Are the stories to, I've heard, yeah, yeah. Just it's it's very safe to say now because he's uh, uh, he's dead and buried. But if <laughs> if you listen to listen to Tommy James, it'll send uh, chills up your spine. So now you're making a living at, at the point. When when any uh, Eddie Kendricks comes in from the Temptations and you and you go on tour with him, how big a break was that? Was that a uh, was that a, an increase in uh, in income or was it just stability? Uh, it was an increase in income. It was stability, and also you know it's like people start hearing about you. You know, so you know so when I came back from that, there were there were more recordings. Uh, I'd be prior actually prior to Eddie, I forgot about this. I, I actually did some stuff with uh, Undisputed Truth. Uh, they had that hit record, Smiling Faces. And, and as I said before, that was all came out of playing uh, with that big band every Monday night at, at Trudy Hellas. Um, and then the disco stuff, I, I hooked up with you with two brothers, Dennis and David Williams from the OJs. Um, I did a lot of recordings with them. Uh, uh, there was an offshoot of this uh, the Savannah band, Don Armando's Second Avenue Rumba Band. And uh, I did some live dates with them. We did. We went to uh, Mexico and did a TV show. It's hard for me to remember all this stuff because I haven't even thought about it in so long. Well, let me remind everybody once again that this is Frank McKay, and more importantly, Jim Satin, guitarist, is uh, Jim Satin is our special guest. He's done so much studio work, and it's always interesting to talk to somebody who's who's really had to grind it out. And I love, love talking to guys like you. And, and, and again, I, I guess you got a tremendous stability when, uh, when you hook up with a legend like Bo Diddley and you spend, uh, you know, a dozen years, almost a dozen years with the, uh, the late great Bo Diddley. But again, just a little more on, on the history here. You come back from uh, uh, Eddie Kendricks and tour with Eddie Kendricks. Now, that's considered a good credit or a great credit. And when you come back, I'm assuming that things get a lot easier for you and gigs start coming. Is it because of the Kendricks gig or was it just kind of a, um, kind uh, of a crude I think, thing? I think, I think the Kendricks gig actually went through the, through the doors open, uh, quite a bit. Um, and, uh, I guess, uh, then I think in the early eighties, uh, I had got an agent. Uh, there was a woman I knew that was a, a musician that became a booking agent. She opened up her own booking agency, and she approached me to be like a musical director, band leader for for a lot of her acts. So then I started playing with Sam and Dave. I started playing with Arlene Smith and the Chantels. A lot of R and B stuff. Uh, Martha Reeves and the Vantellas. Uh, so that's a good break. That's a uh, that's that's a tremendous break to become the when you get involved with somebody like that and you end up uh, getting their clientele and and feeling into it. Whenever I talk to folks like yourself, it, it's that that's usually a turning point. That's usually when people uh, start 
instead of grinding out for gigs, some of it comes your way. I mean, who was what was her name? Who was the booking agent? Her name was Margot Lewis. Margot Lewis. I've heard of Margot Lewis. Did she go into A and R afterwards? I don't know. I haven't seen her or spoken to her in years, to be honest with you. And but this led to steady work, right? This and was most of the work recording or traveling? Uh, it was actually at that point in time. There was a lot of shows, like when it, let's say Mary Wells would come to town and do a gig at Dan Soteria. Uh, I would be the band leader, and I was hired to uh, you know get the music straight and uh, hire some local musicians to do the show. And then that's how I met Bo Diddley, was through that contact. And it was the same stuff. I mean, uh, you know, Bo would be coming to, let's say, play at the bottom line. And uh, I would hire a band, you know, and we would go do the show. So it, was, it, it wasn't, it was you know, it wasn't super big at that time, but things were started to percolate. Uh, I would say one of the big breaks from, all, from that situation was uh, we got a gig. I, I was the musical director for Showtime's classic rock and roll reunion show. Now, that was actually a pretty big, you know, that was a impressive situation. Uh, it was like we were the backup band for Jerry Lee Lewis, Wilson Pickett, Benny King. Um, I mean, a lot of that all led to future work. You know, I, I went out, I was actually Benny King's musical director for a few years. I did a lot of traveling with Benny King. Through that, all that stuff, I actually was uh, Ronnie Spector's musical director for a few years. Um it's and amazing. Then, it's amazing how these careers get pieced together. And let me just interrupt you. And I was going to ask you about a guy like Chuck Berry. And and whenever I hear anything about Chuck Berry traveling, they say he travels alone, right? It's a it's a yeah. it's a guitar and him, and he just goes and he plugs in, and it's a different band every night. And I always, when people lay that out, it always seems to me that that's a unique situation. I'm going to ask you in a second if that that is unique or if a lot of musicians go that way, but I'm going to remind people that this is Frank McKay and Jim Satin, guitarist and musical director for, for many of these uh, big acts and, and especially uh, 12 years with uh, Bo Diddley. Uh, Ronnie Spector is an, uh, another incredible legendary star that, that you were musical director for. Uh, but go back to the Chuck Berry question if, if you don't sure. mind. How many uh, artists... Doing it, maybe about 20 dates with Chuck. Uh, we did some tour. We did a tour. Uh, was in Texas. Uh, I think what happened, especially with the older, you know, like that generation of guys like Bo and, and Chuck Berry, a lot of the Lowell Folsom. Um, a lot of times they got to the point where they didn't carry a band. Maybe the gigs didn't pay enough, or it was too much of a hassle, or they didn't want to deal with it. I mean, you know, I don't know, but. Um, you know, I know when, uh, at that when with those gigs, Chuck actually brought a drummer with, with him. So uh, I think, though, I think any artist relaxes or feels better about a gig when he's got his own band. You know. But Chuck um, Berry, I mean, is that is that accurate? What I've heard all these years that he, you know, he travels alone. And and secondly, um, how unique is it? I mean, what did what did you do with Bo Diddley? You guys always traveled with a band. Yeah. Yes, we always, we had a steady band when we traveled with Bo. I would uh, with Benny King. Sometimes, let's say I would go out with me and the background singers, and we'd have to rehearse a band wherever we were going, that kind of stuff. But I think it, you know, I really think it, it just creates more stress on the artist, you know. But I don't know. I don't. I don't really. You know, I never discussed anything like that with Chuck Berry. Um, you know, he seemed to be a nice guy with me. You know, 
although I've heard that he can, he's eaten up a lot of guitar players, but I think it's because a lot of guitar players will try to get on stage and, and like almost outplay him or, or try to upstage him in some way, you know? And that, you know, you can't do that with those guys because they're legends, you know? Yeah, well, you have to put your ego aside, and, and I'm sure you know that better than anyone, and I, you're there, you're a, you're a hired gun in a, in a sense with a lot of this, and whether it's a producer or it's the the act. I, I imagine that you you know you have to keep some of your opinions to yourself. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, but, you sound like you have the right personality to to make. Obviously, it's worked for you. You've uh, you've made a living in this, and a lot. Listen, a lot of people would kill to have the career that you've had, and just even a couple of these credits. But let, let's talk about Bo Diddley. And and again, I'll remind everyone that Jim Satin, uh, guitarist extraordinaire, is uh, is our guest, and he's had just a wonderful career. We've got about four minutes left with Jim, and this is Frank McKay. How did you hook up with Bo Diddley? Uh, th- through that agent that I originally you know, I had mentioned to you about. Uh, he was part of that core of people that she was booking. We did a gig at the Lone Star, the old Lone Star in New York, and apparently she knew uh, a guy named Phil Carson that used to manage Led Zeppelin that was managing Ronnie Wood at the time. And he came down and checked out the show. And Ronnie, I guess, had expressed interest. This was before Steel Wheels, that he wanted to do a tour with Bo. So that was actually when, when it really got big. Uh, I, I would say 1986 through 1988, uh, we did the Ron Wood, Bo Diddley, with the Jim Satin Band, Gunslinger's World Tour. I mean, that which was, you know, a big highlight for me. Uh, I, I can't even, you know, ex- you know, put that into words. I remember at one point we came back from Washington, D.C. We drove all night. I drove into Manhattan. And as soon as we hit Manhattan, I saw posters for the We were playing at the Ritz Theater that night, and it had my name on it as well as Bo and Ronnie. I mean, that was that was a rush. You know? Yeah, well, that's. I hope you got a picture of that. Yeah, I have DVDs and all that, you know, the whole shebang, you know. Yeah, see, that's a nice... And then from nice... that, I got to play with Mick Taylor. I did a few shows with Mick Taylor. And... Uh, you know. So you've played with everyone from Stones to uh, to Ronnie Spector. Uh, how about Ronnie Spector? How how well did you get to know her? Did you get any uh, Phil Spector stories out of her? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I think she told me at one point that something about went during the divorce proceedings, or well, you know, he locked her in the house and all that kind of stuff. I, I didn't want to be nosy, but Ron, Ronnie was an absolute sweetheart. She was very loyal to the band. I mean, she was she was great. You know. Um, and that voice is something else. How many people? Nobody can sing like that, you know. Well, who do you keep in touch with at this point? Uh, well, a lot of people have died. I mean, in in '91, I actually went back out on the road with Eddie Kendricks. I hadn't spoken to him in a long time, and I went. I did probably play with Eddie the last three or four months of his life with Dennis with Dennis Edwards of the Temps, um, which is uh, you know, which, which is great. Um, I've kind of got away, gotten away from all that, and I've been actually getting more into producing, playing jazz, and songwriting. You know, well, so I haven't. You know, I've been in different circles. I guess is what I'm saying. You know. Well, this is Frank McKay, and our special guest has been the wonderful Jim Satin. Jim, uh, thrilled to have you. Thanks for being our guest. Give give us in closing uh, just a quick uh, website that people can go to, and uh, and where people could follow you. Okay, it's uh, www.jimsatin.com. Spell it out. It, it spells uh, differently. J-I-M-S-A-T-T-E-N.com. Jim, thanks for being here. Oh, and, and thank you. I really enjoyed this. I appreciate it.
This is Frank McKay. My special guest has been Jim Satin, wonderful guitarist. Please check him out and check out his material. Uh, just a great career. He's put together a wonderful career as a musical director and as a guitarist, uh, extraordinary musician. And please check him out. Jim Satin's been our guest. This is Frank McKay. We will see you next time on Breaking It Down.